I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 11. John 11. We're going to look particularly at verses 33 to 44. But I'd like to read with you from the start of the chapter because it all kind of holds together. John 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. 
So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Brothers and sisters, beloved of God, death tends to bring out our best and our worst. If someone is loving and sympathetic, death tends to showcase their compassion. If someone is selfish, death tends to showcase their thoughtlessness. Those who trust only in themselves will reveal the insecurity of their hearts, while those who trust in the Lord will reveal their comfort. Because death is such a crisis, and because it shows the extent of our powerlessness, it invariably reveals the heart of those who are confronted by it. It shows where their hope is found, and if they even have hope. It shows what that person believes and where his confidence is. And when the one encountering death is Jesus, what death reveals is absolutely stunning. Of course, Jesus encountered death plenty during his 30-some years among men on earth. It was a time of high mortality rates. Surely, He had experienced the death of many friends and neighbors, elderly and young alike. But the time described in this text is a bit different because Lazarus was a close friend. And his death was sudden, was traumatic for those who loved the man. And Jesus was absent when he died, arriving only after he had already been buried. Now, just as death generally serves to reveal the character of men, so this death reveals to us the character of the Son of Man. And if Lazarus' death and Jesus' response to it show us something profound about Jesus' character, how much more the raising of the one who was dead. And so what we see in this text is how a confrontation with death reveals our Redeemer's unique character. And that's something we need to remember when we face death. Because if we face death on our own, by our strength, by our understanding, we have no hope. But if we face death at His side, 
if we face death with him present, whether our death or those that of, of one whom we love, then his unique character means absolutely everything. The confrontation with death reveals our Redeemer's unique character. And the first thing it shows us is that he came as one who is fully man in order to sympathize with our suffering. He is fully man to sympathize with our suffering. Recognize the context here. Jesus had been ministering in Judea. That's the southern part of the promised land. And his enemies, mainly the powerful and influential among the Jews, had been not happy with him. In fact, they wanted to kill him. So he removed himself across the Jordan River and went north and he was ministering there. He was probably still there. Maybe he had already gotten up to Galilee when the news came that Lazarus was ill. His sisters had sent word to him that he was sick, had at least implied that they would like him to come and work his healing power upon Lazarus. But Jesus delayed so that when he arrived, Lazarus had been dead for four days, was already in the grave. As he comes near the town, he encounters Martha. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary were siblings. Jesus was close friends with all of them. He meets Martha outside the village in private and the conversation reveals a spiritual battle waging war within Martha. She believes that Jesus is the Messiah. She believes that he's the one whom God promised and yet she's tempted to doubt the extent of his power. After all, he could have raised Lazarus or not raised but prevented him from dying and yet he didn't show up in time and if he has all this power then why did he not show up in time? But Jesus, in the end, declares his power, his sovereignty, his divinity. And Martha confesses. Though she has struggled, she confesses. She believes he is the Messiah. She's confident that he came to fulfill all the promises God has made. Now Jesus wants to meet with Mary, so Martha goes and finds her. She's sitting at the house, surrounded by mourners. She whispers to her. The teacher is here. He wants to see you. He's calling for you. So Mary gets up, follows Martha out. The crowd, seeing, thinking she's going to the tomb to grieve there, follows after her. But notice that Mary doesn't hesitate, even in her grief. She's eager to see Jesus. When she gets there, she falls to his feet. A demonstration of reverence, of respect. By her action, confessing that she loves Jesus, she trusts him. And then she speaks a a confession that's very similar to that which her sister spoke. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, that statement can be taken either as a simple confession of her faith in Jesus' power. She knows that Jesus could have healed him. Or maybe even as a rebuke. Why did you wait so long? Why did you not get here in time? But either way, whether whether spoken as a simple confession or even as a rebuke, Mary's statement is a confession of her faith. She is confident that Jesus has power over sickness. She's confident that he's the one who is sovereign. She's confident that he is God in human flesh. 
And Jesus is moved by Mary's confession and also by her grief, along with the grief of the crowd. And therefore, having seen the deep sadness of his friend Mary, having witnessed the weeping of the crowd, having seen all of it, Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The verb that's rendered, he was deeply moved. That doesn't just indicate that he was overcome by emotion. It indicates at least a tinge of anger. This is the verb early in the text. It was noted that Mary was the one who anointed Jesus' feet with oil and and wiped his feet with her hair. If you recall that story, some of the Jews sitting there and, and even some of his disciples were offended by that. That was costly ointment. Could have been sold to help so many poor. That's the verb that indicated their response. They were overwrought a bit. In other words, Jesus is upset when he sees all this grief. Why? Is he upset with Mary? No. Is he upset with with the crowd and their display of emotion? Absolutely not. Jesus is moved. He's filled with indignation over death and its ugliness and its pain. Death was not part of the creation at the start. It rode in on the coattails of sin. It's a consequence of the wicked temptation of Satan himself. Seeing the ugliness and the pain caused by death, Jesus becomes indignant and he was troubled. Stirred up. Resolved to act. He's not just going to sit there angry at death. That he's going to respond to it. He's going to do something about it. This is the response of one who is so moved by his situation that it leads him to a decisive action. This is the response of one who has seen a terrorist attack and immediately goes to the army recruiter. This is the response of one whose mother has died of cancer and so he goes and studies to become a doctor. Jesus grieved, indignant at the pain and the suffering that comes with death. Resolves to act. But first we read, Jesus wept. He wept, his heart overcome by their grief. Now the crowd sees that. And many respond by sympathizing with him. See how he loved him. They, they appreciate the depth of his love for Lazarus and for his sisters. They appreciate his compassion, but others could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? They imply he he has no right to shed tears. The man who has the cure has no right to complain about the effects of the disease. But really neither group gets Jesus' tears. Weeping can indicate a variety of emotions, from pain to joy to frustration and beyond. The crowd saw his tears and they figured he was just grieving. He was was mourning the loss of his friend. But I think that's not quite correct. 
Because Jesus knew that his friend was not long for the grave. Jesus knew what was going to happen in such a very short time. He was weeping, not because he missed Lazarus. He was weeping because of the cost that was paid by those who missed Lazarus. His tears were were shed because of the heartache of Mary and Martha. His tears reflect his love for those whose hearts were breaking. Brothers and sisters, we need to pay attention to that shortest verse in the Bible because it says something essential about Jesus' character. He was about to do one of his most impressive miracles. And yet he doesn't focus on him. And he doesn't try to comfort them with something that they can't see yet. No, Jesus is focused on the folks right in front of him. Consumed by the grief that consumed them. Overwhelmed by their sorrow. Jesus entered in to the grieving of those whom he loved. And in his tears we see the sympathetic suffering of the Redeemer who is one of us. Isaiah assured us in Isaiah 53 that our Savior would be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, beholding the sorrow that gripped his beloved friends. Jesus wept. He wept for the pain that they were enduring. He wept for the suffering that had overcome them. Also, when you are overcome with grief, so great is His love for us that He mourns with us. He knows the end of the game. He knows the end of the war and who wins. But He still grieves with us. He still mourns with us. My friends, there is immense comfort in that. Because those tears of our Savior demonstrate to us in a way that that words can't even come close. He's one of us. He understands our sorrow, our grief, our suffering. And so we can trust Him to stand by us as we endure it all. The one who one day will wipe away our every tear is the one whose eyes filled with tears in sympathy for those whom he loved. Death is his enemy just as much as it is ours, and he desires its defeat even more than we do. That means he weeps with us over Julia's death. Now please understand what that means. I'm not saying that he's somehow surprised by her accident. Not saying... That he didn't decree the day of her death as he decrees the day of every one of our deaths. Jesus is completely sovereign. Not a a moment, not a day, not an event escapes his sovereign control. But seeing our grief, Jesus weeps. Jesus grieves at our heartache, at our pain. Because death remains our enemy. Even though, as we shall see, death has been defeated. Yet still, 
until this world is utterly renewed and death is no more, Jesus sympathizes with our suffering. Our Savior understands His tears mingle with ours, and what a blessing that is. Because if He didn't grieve with us, how could we go to Him for comfort? But because He does, because He gets it, we can seek from Him the comfort that we crave. And we can be confident that He who wept at Mary's grief will be with us in our sorrow. However, he doesn't merely weep and sympathize. He also acts. Unlike every other friend and acquaintance who mourns with us, Jesus not only grieves with us, he also helps. In our text, we don't see him grieving and then walking away. He grieves the pain brought by death, and then in his grief he resolves to act showing that He is not only fully man to sympathize with our suffering, He also is fully God to triumph over the tomb, which is the other thing we see here. He's fully God to triumph over the tomb. In verse 38, we come to a new setting just outside the tomb of Lazarus. John tells us it was a cave. Perhaps a natural void in the ground, perhaps one dug out of the rock. It's covered by a stone to seal inside the bodies of those who have died. Seeing that stone, Jesus orders the bystanders to remove it. He has come to fight against our ancient foe, and he demands entrance to the battlefield. However, that command seems unthinkable to those who hear it. Who wants to open a mausoleum four days after someone's been buried in it? That seems like a bad idea all the way around. And Martha says as much, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead for four days. Martha's always practical. She recognizes we're already overcome by our grief. We don't need to make it worse. But Jesus answers by reminding Martha who he is. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? That's what Jesus said when he he was first told about Lazarus being ill. It was implicit when Martha said that her brother would rise again. So this, this is a call to faith. Martha can't foresee precisely what Jesus is doing, but she's called to believe that he knows what he's doing. She's called to have confidence in him, even though she can't understand the situation. There's a lesson for us there, isn't there? There's absolutely no way we can make sense of the sudden death of those whom we love. We're always tempted to that why question. Why did it happen? Why did it have to happen now? Why did it have to happen in this way? God doesn't give us that insight. Nor do we need to know. What we need to know is that God knows. That God is sovereign and that His plan is always perfect. But that's hard for us. It's a call to faith. And likewise... 
Likewise, when He calls us to trust Him in the midst of that valley, and we're tempted to dwell on the impossibility, the impossibility of of continuing without this one who's always been there, the impossibility of, of being comfort, of our tears ever drying, knowing how deeply our heart has been broken. But He calls us to trust. Trust in Him. Believe that He's at work. They do. They remove the stone. And then Jesus prays. Prayer is instructive. Verse 41, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing about, that they may believe that you sent me. Notice he starts with thanksgiving. Because he is confident that God will answer his prayer. Jesus has no doubt that God will give him exactly what he needs. And then he expresses his his confidence in the Lord. He knows that his Father has heard him. He knows that God the Father will provide. He has no doubt because our Heavenly Father is trustworthy beyond measure. In fact, Jesus trusts his Father so much, he doesn't even specify in his prayer. The Father is omniscient. He doesn't need us to tell him what needs to happen. In fact, he understands the situation far better than we do. But Jesus praised that prayer for two reasons. For one thing, he's been accused by the Jews already of working miracles, of driving out demons by the power of the prince of demons. There's every likelihood that when he raises the dead, they'll accuse him of doing so by the king of the dead. So he makes it explicit to everyone. The power on which he is drawing is the power of God himself. But more than that, this is an example for us. When we face that hard thing, when we see that impossibility, I know some of our young people are thinking, how am I going to get through these next days? Not just our young people. And we have those times throughout life where this mountain looks impossible to climb. This roadblock looks absolutely impenetrable. This day looks like something I cannot endure. We don't have to know what to pray. All we need to know is to whom we pray. That He is sovereign. That He is perfectly wise. That He is always good. And so we can thank Him that He loves us. We can thank Him that He opened a pathway into His very presence through Christ. And we can be confident that He will give us exactly what we need, when we need it, just as Jesus expressed. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. What an amazing command. Jesus commands the absolutely impossible. The man's been dead four days. 
Martha was confident there would be a stench, that there was already decay happening. But he cries out, not the words of one who is desperate. Now he calls out the command of the one of whom it was said he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus created Lazarus, knit him together in the womb. Jesus is the one who spoke, and out of nothing all the world came into being. And so too at the tomb, Jesus spoke, and light flooded the tomb's darkness. Life filled the flesh that was dead, and in less than an instant... The brain that had gone dormant sparked to life. The flesh that was lifeless and cold was rejuvenated. The heart that lay stagnant and still began to beat. The soul that had vacated that temple of the body returned. Who but God could issue such a command? Who but God himself could speak to the dead and bring forth life? And so we read, He who had died, came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Here stood proof positive that Jesus is far more than merely a man. What mere man could send life into the dead? What mere man could simply command and bring forth new life? In the shrouded form of the newly resurrected Lazarus, we see the authority of Jesus to bring life from death. The omnipotent power of Jesus to overcome the curse. The trustworthiness of Jesus to give us not just comfort, but resurrection power. This is what we see in the figure who emerges from the darkness of the tomb. And John recounts it to assure us that Jesus provides everything his disciples need. This is what this text reveals to us. Our Savior is fully man in order to, in order to sympathize with our suffering. He's there to comfort us, to encourage us, but he is also fully God to triumph over the fullness of the tomb. And Lazarus is in several ways an image of us. Lazarus is an image of us, first of all, in our sin. Because Ephesians 2 tells us that that's what we were in our sin. We were dead. We had no power to come to the Lord. We had no desire to come to the Lord. Though we walked about and spoke and thought and produced, we were dead. We had no access to God. We had no peace with God. We had no comfort. We had no hope. We had no life. But he who commanded Lazarus to come forth from the grave spoke to us by the gospel, sent his power by the Holy Spirit and worked in us the faith that joined us to Jesus that we might have life and have it abundantly. But it's not just a spiritual picture of us. Lazarus is a picture of us in death as well. Because unless Jesus comes back soon, 
Every one of us will die. Every one of our lives has an expiration date. That day will come. A day filled with work, with conversations, with friends, with joy. And in an instantaneous explosion, we will be in the presence, not of darkness, not of nothingness, no, but in the presence of Christ Himself who will command us, come forth. And suddenly all of the struggles and all of the sorrows and all of the suffering of this life will be behind us. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He will fill us with the fullness of joy in His presence. Yes, we will be restored to all those who've gone before us, but above all else, we will be restored to God Himself. We will look upon Him in all of the fullness of His glory, and we will celebrate, we will worship, we will have joy unending. But that's not even the end. Because soon Jesus will return. And when He does return, our bodies will be as restored and renewed as Lazarus's was and more because we will be absolutely utterly body and soul perfected we will be able to do what no one but Jesus has ever been able to do we will be able to serve God perfectly without flaw without failure at all we will know the fullness of joy such that this life has not even begun to prepare us for. It will be absolutely amazing. We will stand side by side with our loved ones to serve the Lord, to worship the Lord, to glory in the Lord. That day is coming. Lazarus stands as the first fruits of that coming harvest. It's not here yet. It's not here yet and we still live in the midst of a valley of tears, weeping at those whom we love who've been taken from us, overwhelmed by the pain of our loss. But Jesus, He's in that valley with us. By His Spirit, He is never apart from us. He sympathizes, He stands beside us and He reminds us the victory is won. The day very soon will come. We didn't say, and we won't say goodbye to Julia or to any of our loved ones whom the Lord takes through death. We say, see you soon. Because we will be reunited with them in the presence of Christ. And how immense will be our joy. May the Lord strengthen us And encourage us until then by His very presence. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we desperately need the gospel hope that this text recalls to us. We so need to remember that In Jesus you have conquered death. And that for all of us who trust in him, the fullness of death has no power. Because instead of going into the punishment that our sins deserve, we we, we go straight into your presence. 
Lord, help us to remember that. To remember the joy that awaits all of those who trust in you when we go to you through death. And in the meantime, Lord, comfort us. Grant that we might feel your presence. That we might remember Jesus' sympathy. And that our tears might be dried by your very power. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.